0: Hello everybody, this is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. Hello everybody. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. This is Dr. Deanna Minnick and guess what? It's me and you this week. No guests, it's me and I want to tell you about my venture at the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute conference that just passed. You know, it's. Um, I always feel like after I go to a meeting, I'd love to have a small group to debrief download, discuss, kind of get into the things that you just tried to digest, a lot of D's there, and oftentimes, you know, you run away from the conference because you're trying to get home, and there's really not like a dedicated group to just talk about what you just learned, and so here we are together. I want to talk with you about what I took away from this fabulous meeting. I don't know if you know Dr. Jeffrey Bland. He is the father of functional medicine. And he's also the father creator of the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute. So PLMI is what that institute stands for. He's very often very polysyllabic. You know, he likes to bring together many seemingly disparate concepts into one synthesized whole. That's one of the things I really like about him and what he has shown me over these years of working with him and mentoring with him is that, yeah, we are a great big whole and a hole with whole with w h o l e of course right we are a big spectrum and i feel like what i learn at a lot of these meetings oftentimes we get into the minutia we start slicing and dicing and looking at all the different features and parts of ourselves and what i like to do is bring it back to the whole because of course i talk about nourishing your whole self it's it's all about that you know we can't extricate a certain part of us and just say okay we are just the body and that's all what you see is what you get and we know that that's no longer true We know that scientifically we know that experientially anecdotally clinically you name it we just know that there's something more So you know it's very interesting so when I was at this conference uh, there was a lot on genetics. You know, how do we personalize medicine? You know, that's such a, a buzzword, personalization. And the way that the scientific and medical community has arrived at that place of personalization is through genetics, at least primarily. That's kind of like the starting place. And that makes pretty good sense to me in some ways because, yeah, if we are connected into our genetic imprint and our template, I liken that to... Our canvas that's actually what we have to work from but our genetics are not everything but they are something so at this past meeting I had the opportunity it was a gift from being on an advisory board that I was gifted with the ability to get my whole genome sequenced and here I was thinking like oh my gosh you know I've done 23andMe before I've done different other lab tests for different SNPs SNPs are gene variants but um, wow, this was going to be my whole genome right before me. And, you know, I was a little bit filled with some trepidation for what would come to the surface. I wasn't quite sure, <laughs> but it actually turned out to be very, um, goodness, you know, just it was more genetically light than I thought it would be. You know, when I did 23 Me years ago, all these things popped out. Different levels of risk, and now I think that within the genetic framework, that there is this sense of let's not hang our hat too much on this hook of genetics. That we need a lot more evidence to make a lot bigger conclusions. And so this uh, Illumina whole genome sequencing, you know, it's very evidence based. So it really cut down on a lot of the things that I thought I had because you know we we just don't have the evidence for that and it was comforting to see that because it made me realize that goodness um yeah I you know our lifestyle is is a huge part now that said I did have some genes for inflammation I won't get into the details of what the genes were and everything because it's just some of these were esoteric disease names that aren't very familiar but You know, if you look at the base of what they're about, it's about inflammation and it's about, um, yeah, having cellular metabolism not work right. So uh, that's good to know, right? Because we know in functional medicine that so much of disease is really at this bedrock of inflammation and creating this, I kind of call it an inflammation immune cycle. It's like when we have a perturbation in our immune system, it can create inflammation, and inflammation goes right back into the immune system. Now, another thing that I did I want to tell you about is I also, and I know this is a little bit away from the PLMI meeting, but I'll get back to that, Um, but it's very related to doing tests, and I know that a lot of you like to do tests. You know, you are logically minded. You like to see numbers, and you know what? I do too, because... I do think that it's important for our health to track our numbers throughout time. In fact, I was told that probably almost two decades ago by a variety of different people, and so what I started to do was essentially collecting all of my labs, trying to track them as best I could. After a while, I I went the whole spreadsheet thing and I just started collecting them in a folder. But it was really interesting because you can start to see when things cropped up, what your hormone levels were like, how you've tracked on your vitamin D levels over time, how did that coincide with symptoms. So I believe that the medicine of the 21st century is all about pattern recognition. Pattern recognition, which means that we're looking at what emerges from an individual's biomarkers, from their labs, from their environment, from their symptoms, and trying to put it all together. It's kind of a fancy way to say what medicine has been doing for some time, but I would say just a bit more expansive because now in the 21st century, we're starting to see things working as a whole, working as a system. And I'm going to talk about the spectrum. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. So with the lab findings, let me just clue you into this. It was really interesting because I'm doing this virtual coaching program just to try it out. And so in this virtual coaching program, they take all of your blood measurements and stool measurements and saliva measurements twice a year, and then they compare and, you know, you're kind of focused on certain things. And so we did all of our baseline measurements back in March, 2017. And so I was up again in September, 2017 to do them all again, just got the results and uh, went through it with the, the coach to see what her thoughts were, and she also mapped it against my genetics, which I thought was really cool, right? Because that's, again, adding to a feature of personalization. If you haven't done this for yourself, what I would say is find a really good functional medicine or integrative practitioner who can get these labs, who understands the big hole of who you are and can assemble those pieces with finesse, like they've got experience doing that. I mean, I kind of do it for myself now because I understand it, but I think it can be very intimidating if you're not on the inside of how to look at all of these different labs and functional markers, right? So as we were looking at my markers, the only thing that I've done different between March and September is I committed to myself to be more mobile, to have more movement, and to have more physical activity in my life. Because quite honestly, I wasn't doing so well on that. I was definitely a star on the nutrition front. I mean, I'm probably hyper vigilant on my food and eating just because I feel when I've just eaten something wrong or that doesn't agree with me and it impacts me so much. So it keeps me on the straight and narrow. So I don't do it from like a discipline perspective. I do what I do with food, eating and supplements on really the playing field of just wanting to feel good because I know my body is so sensitive that if I'm eating something that doesn't feel right, I feel it immediately and it's not worth the hours of aggravation that follows. So I've done a lot of work on my food and eating over the years as well as my relationship with food. I really feel good about that, but what I didn't feel good about was I was rather sedentary. I mean, I'm not overweight or anything, but I I felt that I needed... Just movement, you know, this element of flow. In fact, as I dipped into the science of longevity and vitality, one of the things that surfaced for me was looking at the element of flow, whether it's neuronal plasticity, so thinking in different patterns, which I think is really important because if our brain is making new novel connections, it keeps us synaptically plastic, that's kind of the techie term, but essentially it keeps our brain really fluid and wired in such a way that we can just continue to think in broader ways and not get narrowed in so that we experience a lot of stress. Same thing with the heart. The heart rate variability, we want that to continue to increase. We do that by having more flow, more flexibility, more variability in our lives and accommodating that. And finally, the gut you know, being able to withstand some metabolic pressures from different foods. And so I know that flow is so important. And so for me, again, I wanted to do what I did with food, but now for movement. So again, it's not for me about a discipline thing. It's about a feeling. It's a feeling I want to anchor into when I'm moving. So between March and September, What I did was I committed to moving, and I did all kinds of movement. I wasn't just pegged on to one particular thing. And what really was appealing to me was I I really just wanted to have some strength training in my life because I have done a lot of aerobics. I haven't done a lot of strength training, and so I committed to myself. I joined a gym, and I am not a gym rat. That's like... (laughs) It's not like my thing to do, but you know what? It also brings in a nice social component, which I can appreciate. It's like seven minutes from my house, which I can really appreciate. And, you know, I don't have to go to the gym if I don't want to. I could have been outside, which I was outside. You know, I live in a rural area, so lots of great places to walk. I go to the state park. I take mini hikes. So that's what I did between March and September. And I'm going to tell you what I saw that changed. So one of the things that changed for me was um, especially my blood lipids. I'm uh, actually pretty good on a number of them, like triglycerides, LDL, HDL, small particle LDL number, um, looking at particle size, all of these things. Even though they were already okay, and I've got some genetic predisposition that would make some of these worse than normal, What happened was they continued to improve. Like they were already good, but they got better with activity. It was pretty phenomenal to see that actually. Like that just makes me want to move more. It's like my heart likes this. It's my liver likes this. And if my systems are liking it on the whole, I'm going to just perform better, feel better have better moods, better sleep, all those things are gonna be much better regulated. Now, when I was at the PLMI meeting, it was really interesting because there was a presenter there his name was Michael Schneider. And Michael did this great experiment. In fact, Google him, Michael and then Schneider, S-N-Y-D-E-R. And what Michael did is he tracked his metrics using all kinds of wearables. I think he was wearing like six or seven different wearables over time. He tracked himself for seven years. And I remember he showed one slide where he kind of dipped off from his regular physical activity, and he saw almost immediately that there was an increase in certain measurements that were not beneficial to his health. So it's amazing how fast and fluid and flexible our bodies are at adapting. And then when he went back to exercising, all those things came just dropped down. So he has some resilience, right? I mean, his body's still really healthy. Sometimes when we are in a more diseased state, it takes a bit longer to come back to where we were. So that's why, you know, people ask me all the time, Deanna, what's your thought on all these wearables and devices? Are they toxic? Should we be wearing them? And my personal and professional view on them is whatever gets us to be healthier and happier, if it's, it's, if it's good for us and if it's good for the people around us, then I, I think that That's a win. I mean, if it really jazzes us to wear a little device and to look at our our steps at the end of the day, why wouldn't we want to bring that factor of happiness in, right? Whatever motivates you. And changing our behavior is not an easy thing. In fact, it's one of the hardest nuts to crack in the clinical sphere because we can be inundated. Just like I was inundated going to that PLMI meeting, it's kind of like we know what we need to do for ourselves to be healthy, it's actually doing it. So that's why I always recommend following the feeling you want from that change. So when I was exercising for these past six months, and in fact, I'm still exercising, actually, I don't even like that word exercise. I want to go with being active, moving. (laughs) Because to me, it's not exercise anymore. Exercise to me is kind of a 1990s word of, you know, going to an aerobics class and things are so structured and yeah, I don't see it like that. To me, it's more intermittent and it's a part of my life now. It's it's a friend and it helps me to feel good. And again, when people feel good, they anchor into those behaviors at a different level. So wearables, you know, if you're into them, you know, I learned about this really neat ring that people are wearing. It's called Aura. O-U-R-A. Kind of cool, because if you look at what the ring is tracking, it's tracking your, uh, your movement, your sleep, your heart rate, all those things. And what Michael Schneider presented was that heart rate and heart rate variability are actually pretty sensitive indicators of changes in your health. And when I used to work one-on-one with people in the clinic, I would hook them up to a heart rate variability device and then have a conversation about food. And it's amazing how just how quickly people shift even talking about food. It's quite phenomenal actually. You know, they could be really excited about a food, but then their heart rate variability is not exactly showing that. And I've always said that our heart doesn't lie. So whatever the heart is saying is like that's true. <laughs> So, yeah, so all these wearables, it's it's so interesting to see kind of the the old merging with the new. I feel like here we sit in 2017 and we are in a huge transition. This feels like a crossroads point where we get to choose. And I was sitting with a lot of my different functional medicine friends And some of them are kind of balking at all of the technology that's coming into the the healthcare system. And that's really what the PLMI meeting was about was what's on the forefront? How do we disrupt healthcare in a good way for everybody? How do we start to look more at personalizing and creating better health outcomes, right? How do we get people healthier and happier? So One of the things I noticed is that there is kind of this resistance to technology. And then on the other side, there are a lot of people that are really jazzed about it. It's like, wow, this is their sweet spot. There was a presenter and his name was Joel Dudley. And Joel Dudley works at Mount Sinai Hospital, which is in New York. And he was showing pictures of some of the... The different clinics that are coming up now, which are all kind of, I would call them smart clinics. So they kind of look almost sci fi, where, you know, lots of big black screens, very bare bones. I mean, you're tracking yourself even when you're out of the office. So coming into the clinic is really just kind of touching base because your practitioner is connected into you all the time. So we just have to gauge, you know, what really sparks us, what really gets us to make some change in our lives. I came across a study just a couple days ago it was one of the science news daily type of wires that I get and so it was this blip of a study and it was talking about how putting a sign at the bottom of the stairs at the airport encouraging people to take the stairs led to an almost twice uh, greater use of those stairs and then It led to other, um, basically, behavior habits that were connected into taking more stairs and getting more movement. So, and I thought that that was kind of cool that, wow, just seeing a couple of words and making a change in that moment could have longer lasting effects, Which brings me to a concept that I've been encouraging within my whole detox programs for the past years, and it's this whole concept of what is your one thing? What is your one thing? You know, if you're thinking about devices, you want to make a change, you're looking at your labs, you're looking at your genetics, a lot of this can be overwhelming, and it's kind of like, you know what, it's just too overwhelming, so I'm not even going to touch it. What I think is even more essential is to find the one thing that you're really tuned in, tapped into, and based on that, you follow that. You follow that and become that. So for me, my one thing over these past six months was activity. I just really wanted to focus on that, and that was like my only thing that I was gonna focus on, right? I didn't make it too complicated. I gave myself a lot of leeway. So I could go and take a walk outside, I could go to the gym, I could go lift weights, you know, maybe I'd skip a day and then I'd go on the next day. So, you know, I had a lot of flexibility around my movement, but I made it my one thing. So what if you had your one thing? What would that be? You know, it's um, on my desk here as I'm talking with you, I'm looking at, I've got this stack of post-it notes I always use post-it notes when I'm doing a retreat or a workshop or I'm leading some kind of class because it's so profound just to have something so small and to write something on it and to put it in our environment. I mean, think of the power of an affirmation, of an affirmative positive statement that we feel something about when we say it and how that can change us. I mean, words are powerful, the power of one word, the power of three words. And I think in healthcare, what we've seen over time is things have become so darn complicated. And, you know, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. We find out more things in science. We start hooking that into medicine, into clinical work. And, yeah, it starts to get kind of complicated But where did we go with things like the therapeutic encounter? How are we losing touch with ourselves, our practitioners? Are things becoming too mechanical and technical? How do we continue to have that sense of relationship around the simple in our lives, the profound? Within the whole detox program, I talk about seven things, seven different areas where people can make changes profound changes. And it could just be one area that we want to focus on. So those seven different things are first and foremost, food. And I have even chunked that one out with patients over time. And I would say to people like, okay, what's the feeling you're going for? And then they would say, Deanna, the feeling I'm going for is I want to digest my food better. I want to feel more energy after I eat. And from that feeling, we retrofit what we need to do with food. We might do a food allergy panel to find what's weighing on their system, what's causing the immune inflammatory system to overload. So that might be like the one thing, you know, let's just focus on food and maybe out of all the foods, gosh, maybe we just focus on sugar or maybe we just focus on gluten or maybe we just focus on dairy. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. I You know, just, I want you just for a second right now to imagine what happens when you toss a stone into a pond. What happens? Like this little stone into a much, much larger pond of water. And what happens is you get this ripple through effect. So yeah, you, you know, you can focus on one thing like sugar or gluten and you start noticing how your body feels when you start making those changes. And it's like this ripple effect. It's like, wow, greater awareness. I'm now having better sleep. I'm not so moody and cranky. I have better concentration and focus. So that one thing, removing sugar or bringing in some colorful vegetables has totally changed you, Cho- totally changed your whole so that's one area is I focus on food, right? I do that within the programs I teach. The second area that I talk about for that one thing is your emotions. And emotions are tough. <laughs> they just are. I'm going to be straight up with you on that one because oftentimes people don't want to venture into that space. They feel like, ooh, oh, what do I do? It's unruly. It's chaotic. And You know, I just have so much stuffed inside. And if I open it up like Pandora's box, what's going to come out? So the one thing that I have used in order to help people work with their emotions is creativity. Okay, so what does that mean? So color, let's take color. Color, I believe, like when we're looking at color in our environment or we're wearing certain colors, we're eating certain colors, We're just, in general, more aware of the colors in our environment. What tends to happen is that color is a portal to our emotions, right? I mean, there's even science on this. The color yellow, and I talked about this in my podcast on yellow, the color yellow is connected to people feeling healthy, people feeling happy. It generates a certain emotion, and it's not the same for every person. So your experience of yellow might be different than mine, but you know what? We're both going to have some kind of emotional reaction to it. Either we might love it or we might not love it. So when we portal into our emotions through color, and color often comes in the form of just everyday stuff, you know, I'm looking outside now at the green trees and really feeling the expansiveness of green. I love the color green. Oh my gosh, you know, it just, it creates such a hard expansion in me. So tapping into our emotions and working with them, dancing with them, our emotions are so dynamic. So how do we get more of that by being more creative? You know, another thing that helps us with emotions that I want to mention is just shaking up our ruts. You know, we get so comfortable. And I think comfort sometimes is is the antithesis of moving forward with our growth, our constant growing process, which in some cases can be very painful, can be very trying and challenging. So one of the things that I did lately was, you know, I was noticing I was getting in the groove of just painting, doing the same kind of creative outlet. And after this last whole detox program that we just completed, I was thinking, you know what, I need to shake things up here. And in so doing, I joined a woman's group that was just focused on different types of crafts. And I joined the group because I wanted a sense of community. I wanted to be around women of my age, and I wanted to have some creative experience. So that really changed me. I mean, gosh, it, um, it allowed for an emotional release, but in a different way. It felt very freeing. So... Long story short on that, number two, emotions, really key to get into that landscape and you can do that with color. That could be your one thing. Number three, thoughts. That's another big unwieldy, big ball of wax, isn't it? Like our thoughts, our thinking, It's that's not an easy one. So there can be lots of different things for that, but I'm just going to mention one. Uh, one thing here, if you decided to go into your thoughts, I really believe journaling. Is so effective. In my late teens and early 20s, when I was going through a lot of emotional upheaval, I would journal all the time. It was like my private time, it was like the space I had to process. So there's something that happens when we move our pen to paper. When we take our brain and it travels through the terrain of our arm into our fingers and onto a piece of paper, it's so different than being on a keyboard. It just is. And even this creative class I was in, it was an art journal class. So it wasn't writing on pieces of journal paper. It was actually creating. And that's a great fusion of taking the emotions and the thoughts together and using color, creativity. You can use some words. You know, it is so fun. It's a great way to make thoughts come alive. Unless you like to write, you can do kind of stream of consciousness writing. But I like journaling for that purpose. The fourth one I've already talked about, and that's movement, some kind of physical movement. And, um, you know, I've struggled with this my whole life. You know, I'm not a natural athlete. I was always kind of a, a geeky girl, kind of nerdy. I wasn't into being in sports. I was always on the outside of that, never had interest in it. But now I see it in a totally different light. I see it as adding to my wellness, adding to my mood, adding to how I feel. It's not about achieving anything when I'm moving, it's about feeling something when I'm moving. So I shake that up too, you know, I'm doing different things like I mentioned. So maybe that's your one thing and you're going to hop on that movement bandwagon with me and we can track ourselves together in that process. The fifth one is affirmations. I've already mentioned affirmations. It's a great one thing exercise to have a quote, to have a phrase and to really position that phrase in the most powerful way you can. So to say that phrase like it's already in motion. So we can say, I am confident. I am powerful. I am compassionate. I am connected to my community. Whatever you want that affirmation to be. And it's one thing. What if you took it and put it on a sticky note and then you put it on your dashboard of your car you put it on your bathroom mirror you put it on your refrigerator put it on your computer you put it on your office desk whatever um, you like wherever you're interfacing it could be your simple one thing I remember some years ago when I was working in corporate life one of the things that had come through was that people were using their computers so much and that they weren't blinking. And so they were getting dry eye, they were getting eye problems. And so the strategy was that everybody would put a sticker on their computer, just a little sticker, kind of like the size of maybe a thumbnail. And it was white and it had black letters. Very simply, it said, blink. <laughs> and you put this on your computer and it's it was a trigger to get people to blink. And did they blink more? Yes, they did. And did they have less dry eye and less other issues? Supposedly they did. So I just think that that's, again, kind of cool. One word, one phrase, and how it can change us. And You know, it doesn't even have to be a word. It could be a symbol. I know in my kitchen, I put a little heart sticker on our juicer. I had one uh, on the blender. I got a new blender. I haven't put a new heart sticker on that yet had one on the refrigerator, you know, even thinking about the magnets and the pictures that you might have in your refrigerator, do they align to what you want as your one thing, that one thing to shift? So give some thought to that, some feeling to that. The sixth way that we can create some change um, and just to kind of drill it into one thing is visualization. I think it's really potent to have guided imagery, to vision things out. I noticed that for myself, I'm very visual. Sixty percent of people tend to be visual learners. I tend to not be able to really get on track with something unless I can vision it. When I start to vision it, whether it's how something should look, how something should feel, how it should look on paper, um, or how it needs to be in some way, I just feel like, okay, I can reverse engineer and get to that then. I always think it's also nice to have a little bit of wiggle room in your visioning for things that just may come up anyway. In fact, I feel so strongly about using simple visualizations that I even wrote a book on it. A hundred visualizations. It's called The Complete Handbook for Quantum Healing. So a hundred different conditions, a hundred different visualizations, Really getting in there and doing some body talk, right? And working hand in hand with your body and your mind to sync up with a vision so that you can manifest. And then the last one, I'll just leave you with this final one, is having a sense of space. So in that space, that quiet time, that stillness, you can have meditation, prayer. It's kind of the the do nothing space which coincidentally is incredibly therapeutic and healing i know it always sounds like when we're listening to stuff out there in the media that we need to be doing x y and z in order to be healthy and happy but really and truly maybe it's going on parasympathetic and resting digesting transforming rather than always being on the run fight or flight sympathetic nervous system is in overdrive i think All of us have seen a lot of that. So the seventh area to drill into your one thing could be something as simple as quiet time. You know, as easy as it seems, that can be very difficult for some people. Some people just have very busy minds, very busy lives, busy family, busy obligations. They don't make the space. And that space, again, allows us to to really process and to release which is so key all right so i'm gonna wrap this up I, i gave you seven different areas upon which you can really reflect on and assess what feels right for you like what is the one thing you could do and feel and be and move through in order to be healthier and happier because it only really needs to be one thing. Just remember that ripple effect, remember that image of the pebble into the pond, right? So no matter where we go with healthcare, as there are these transitions, we move into technology, talking about genes, all of these things, each time it may become more and more complicated. But see if you can just focus on that one thing and really anchor in. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, and I'll see you next week. Take care.